Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in medicine and health. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. This is a podcast in which we hopefully lift the lid on some of the secrets of making freelancing a success. Over the past year, Emma and I have been writing a book called Freelancing for Journalists, and it should be out this July. When we're writing the book, we realised that even though we had a lot of experience between ourselves, we still had a lot to learn. So this podcast is all about passing on some of that wisdom um, with the help of some amazing guests. So this is the last episode of our current series and we couldn't quite beat the coronavirus and getting all of our episodes done. So what we've actually had to do is record this online. So we've got everyone in different locations all over the UK rather than um, all in one radio studio. Yeah, so please bear with us if the quality isn't as good as our other episodes. Um, we are doing the best we can. Yeah, so on to this week's topic, which is pitching. And this is a really important one. When you're a freelancer working on your own and tending not to get a lot of feedback, it can be hard to know if you're getting it right on pitching. Yeah, so with our two guests, who are Jill Foster and Tom Rogers, who we will introduce um, in a short while, we're hoping to cover a lot of tips and advice, as well as providing some reassurance on the pitching process. Every episode, we start with our top tips on the topic. So I'm going to kick off with mine. And mine this week is about paying attention to your email subject heading I think that this is just as important as the email itself because you really have got to grab the commissioning editor's attention and get them to open your email in the first place Um, now we might talk later about um, pitching in other ways not just via email but the vast majority is done via email so I would always suggest to put a suggested headline in your email subject heading and to preface it with in bold either the word pitch or exclusive or secured if you've uh, secured an exclusive interview um, and really make sure that that subject heading stands out so that you are making sure that the editor that you're sending it to is is definitely going to click on it and read your email. Yes, I mean, that's quite good advice because obviously you're, everyone's getting a million emails every day, so you need to stand out or it'll get missed. Yeah, I um, think, I th- sorry, go, go on Emma, what, what's your top tip then? Okay, so I was just going to say mine is to always think about how you can get the most out of a topic that you've been working on um, and writing that for different audiences. So one example I have from fairly recently is HRT. For the, for the past year or so, they've been... Um, lots of HRT shortages and I write about medicine um, women have menopausal women have been not able to get hold of their usual prescriptions so I did a piece on this for a pharmacy magazine about how much extra work it was causing for pharmacists what they like what they were having to go through to try and get um, stocks of HRT 
And so I knew that if this was a problem for pharmacists, it was also going to be a big workload issue uh, and a hassle for GPs as well. So I suggested this um, and ended up writing another piece for a GP magazine. Because once you've got expertise on something, you're not starting from scratch. So you, you're going to have to find different case studies or do different interviews. But your background knowledge and understanding of that issue is already there. And I think, I mean, for in kind of my specialty anyway, it certainly makes you kind of more confident in your pitching of the idea. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, actually, because a lot of stories will have a lot of different angles for different audiences um, or there might be one element of a story that you can kind of pull out and use elsewhere. Um, I do this all the time with my stuff. Um, I re-angle stuff. I even re-angle or reuse case studies or if I put a call out for case studies and, and someone comes back to me and they don't quite work for the, the story I'm working on, actually then I've already got somebody that I can do kind of an offshoot article. So it's happened this week. I've been writing about um, people doing budget DIY um, projects because they're going to be perhaps stuck at home for a very long time, maybe with kids. I put a shout out and I've got a lot of people coming in and some of them didn't quite work for the publication I was writing for, but... I then thought, well, actually, they'll, they'll work for this publication instead. So, I've, you know, I've been pitching it to, to them instead. So it's having that flexibility as well, thinking about your stories as kind of not just one entity. And perhaps, like you say, kind of how many bites of the cherry can you get from one story or from one case study? Yeah, it's just being efficient, isn't it? And not wasting anything that you've come across. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to introduce our guests for this week. We have Jill Foster, an experienced freelance journalist specialising in interviews, human interest stories, lifestyle and health features. She's written for the Daily Mail, the Daily Telegraph, Red, Fabulous, Look, Glamour, Real People, Woman and Woman's Own. And she has years of experience on the commissioning side of things as well. So hi there, Jill. Hi there, hello. Um, we've also got with us uh, Tom Rogers, a freelance financial journalist and copywriter who specialises in investment writing, fintech and cryptocurrency. Uh, his work can be found at Forbes, Yahoo Money, MSN Money and a range of B2B publications in the finance world. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Hello there. Yes, you're welcome. Hi, Jill. Jill, let's um, start with you then. Um, so you've got experience on pitching from both the kind of editor's point of view and from the freelance journalist perspective so can we just start with your top tip what is your top tip for pitching my top tip um is timing timing is key when you're pitching um you've got to think whether you're going to be pitching to a newspaper or a news website is it going to be daily is it a weekly magazine is it a monthly magazine because you might have the most incredible idea in the world but if you pitch at the wrong time it's just going to get lost in a list of emails never to be seen again so always try and find out when editors are going into features meetings or news briefings or when they have production week. It's always worth checking that out before you send your idea. And I tend to, because I tend to work mostly for newspapers, I tend to send most of my ideas before 10 a.m. because I know that um, editors meetings tend to be sort of 11 a.m. Then you might have features meetings at midday or one o'clock. So you need to get a specific 
those ideas in early, especially if they are on addition ideas, meaning that they need to be written on that day. But I also check out the production weeks of the magazines I work for as well, or the production days. And I know that not to pitch to certain magazines on, say, a Wednesday, because they'll just be running around the office, putting headlines on pages, and they're just not interested in ideas at that point. But get them on a Friday, on a Friday morning, when they've got their editors meeting again, you've got much higher chance of your idea getting picked up. So I would say timing is my top tip. Yes, and if you get the, at the right time, you're at the top of the email box as well at the point at which they're kind exactly. of traveling around for ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Tom, same question to you. Is there sort of a trick or technique you found that works particularly well in getting uh, commissioned? You know what, I was thinking about this for, um, for absolute beginners, really. And um, the, the thing that really turned it, it might sound a bit stupid, but the thing that really turned it around for me when I really started was that if you think of yourself as playing a character, I'm not Tom Rogers struggling writer with absolutely no chance of ever getting listened to. I am Tom Rogers, already a well-respected journalist in my own right and my ideas are good. That's that's really my, for, for real beginners, that's my top tip. Yeah, it's yeah having that approaching it with confidence already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you don't think that you've got a chance, then the, you've got absolutely no hope. But if you go in, boulders brass, lay out what you've got, then that's good. That's, that's that's the best way of doing it. And and how much detail do you give um, when you're sending a pitch in an email? I mean, Jill, you've been doing this for a long time now. Has mm-hmm. has that evolved over time? Or oh, I mean, absolutely. Has- yeah, absolutely. When I first started, I would oh, I'd spent ages crafting the perfect pitch and. Um, and I sometimes see journalists just starting out saying, and they spend days on their pitch sometimes. I think, what are you doing? Um, talking to other journalists, I mean, just let me first of all start by saying there is no rule set in stone about the perfect pitch. You have to do whatever feels comfortable for you and whatever is working for you. If you find that one style fits one particular magazine or one particular editor, stick with that and make a note about what they like. Um, Don't think that it's just a blanket rule for every newspaper, every magazine, every editor. It really isn't. You have to tailor it to different people, different personalities and different publications. So um, yeah, don't write too much. I would say that as well as your subject line, you really don't have to write more than about four or five lines in a pitch. If you can't sell it, like the old fashioned elevator pitch, if you're selling a business to somebody, can you say it from you know the ground floor to floor 10? It's a similar thing with pitching um, an idea. Can you say it in four or five lines? And I have to say that, I mean, I, I'm in the privileged position now of knowing a lot of editors and having a personal relationship with them. So I realize I'm coming at it from that angle. But if you're new to it, you should still be able to say what your story is in, in a very brief matter of time. And also, if you're rambling, then what's your feature going to be like? If you're introducing yourself to a new editor and your pitch is rambling, then you think, well, this, this writer's not very good because she can't even write a, a decent, tight pitch. So, um, yeah, five lines, I'd say max. And if it's, if it's six or seven, that's a great lesson in editing yourself down. Get it down to five. How about you, Tom? I mean, what kind of detail would you include in a pitch and are there certain things that you would you would deliberately miss miss out and, and kind of not to give too much away um yeah sure so when i first started out i'd be going for probably like jill uh 
you know, a condensed version of the entire article, which is an absolutely terrible idea, just reams and reams of information, you know, begging, please like me, please see how clever I am. That didn't work. And I, I got absolutely nowhere. So um, I would say keep it brief. I'll probably include a couple of links to uh, similar stories just so editors can see the idea sort of fleshed out in a bit more detail. Um, it's, for me, it's just now it's a hello. I've got an idea I think would work for you based on the stuff that I've seen you've already published. Here's an interesting angle. Let me know what you think. Bing, bang, bosh, done. Yeah. Um, and do you, this comes up all the time in terms of how long to wait before um, kind of saying, did you get my pitch or pitching it to another publication if you think one that you've gone to is not interested? How do you juggle that? How do you kind of balance the need to get someone to pick up your article but give people a chance to, rep to respond? Um, well, I was thinking about this, I think, if you're, um, it's difficult to know what to do, isn't it? Because you don't want to overlap too much. Um, but I mean, I, I always pitch out the same idea to multiple places at the same time, not exactly the same idea, because you've got to give yourself a little bit of leeway so that you know, you're not just um, putting yourself in a situation where you've got to rewrite exactly the same thing two publications because that's not good so you um, angle it slightly differently you've got to otherwise yeah. you you're getting into a world of pain there that you don't want to be in you don't want to be rewriting the same article for two different places um you've, yeah i mean you that's something have, that yeah sorry go on tom no you can you can have the same idea the same basic concept but you've got to for me it's about giving yourself the leeway to uh to write a slightly different article or, or, or pick up maybe different interviewees or, or picking up different angles to it, just so that you're not putting yourself in a difficult position. Yeah, and Jill, how do you kind of balance that? Do you ever send out um, the same pitch to more than one editor at once? I don't, but then Tom proves my point about there being no rule for, for everybody. I personally, having worked on both sides of the fence as a commissioning editor and a freelance journalist, I'm very careful not to send out the same idea because you don't want to annoy somebody by saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'm sending out the same idea and then they're both coming back to you and wanting, <laughs> wanting that story. And then you have a very awkward conversation with one of them having to let them down. So no, what I tend to do is send one idea off to the place that I think will um, take the story first and if they don't get back to me within probably a day as, as long as it's not time sensitive then I will go back to them and I'll give them I'll say to them you know I'm giving you first refusal if I don't hear back from you by say midday don't worry about it but I do need to take it elsewhere and that little bit of kind of twisting her arm a little bit usually prompts a reply saying no thanks or yes please or bear with me I tend to go for that more personal approach. I don't blanket email commissioning editors because there is nothing more annoying as a commissioning editor when when the idea has been sent all around. But like say, it works for Tom and that kind of area that he works in, that clearly works for him. It doesn't work for real life newspapers and magazines, not in my experience. No, I think it probably very much depends on what you're writing about, what kind of articles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, yeah. And I wonder, do I mean, do you ever worry that, or perhaps a bit more when you were starting out, um, that the publication might just steal your idea and, and do it themselves? 
Um, I used to be quite paranoid about this when I was starting out, but I have to say, it's very, very rare that this happens. I do hear about it happening, kind of on the journalist grapevine. But I'm, I was trying to think back about this, and I don't think it's ever happened to me. I think what journalists do have to remember is that when you are pitching, you you shouldn't be pitching a, a topic because a, a topic is something like ovarian cancer month you know that's that's a topic and you've got to remember that editors and journalists who are on staff have probably had some ideas about ovarian cancer month but if you've pitched a, uh, an, an exact an interview with say a widower of somebody who's died of ovarian cancer which is a story i've just recently done for woman magazine um, then you know that that's your idea and, and they, they can't make that because they don't have the interview they don't have the details so be be, be very wary of thinking oh if i'm pitching this they're going to take it it's very very unusual for editors to do that especially in this age of social media when let's face it if a, if a magazine or an editor gets a reputation for stealing ideas then journalists are going to share that and say oh you want to be wary of this one and what goes around comes around yeah tom how about you what's your sort of approach to this um do you know what yeah um unfortunately there's no copyright on ideas that's my take on it. I mean, people yeah. can have the same idea at the same time, continents away, even if they haven't actually read your email. Um, the, you know, the more you drill down into like one niche, for me, it's finance. You know, it's quite common to have the same idea at the same time because your industry is all responding to the same stuff, you know, whether it's like interest rate cuts or, you know, company reports or big financial news. Um, but, you know, ideas are free, but work is not, you know. Um, yes, and I'd add, sorry. sorry, go on. No, what I would add and say, if you are worried that your interview or your story is going to be stolen by the magazine or the editor, is, is take, take some of the detail out. Like I would never, mm. send, I would never send a pitch to somebody giving the full name or I'd, mm. I'd change the surname. So I'd say, you know, Jill Brown rather than Jill Foster has given me an interview. She's a 45-year-old woman. And then I'd say from Lancashire rather than where she's really from. So if they're going to be sneaky and say, go on to facebook and check out this name they're not going to find that person um I, I, it does sound paranoid but if you've got a really if you've got a really strong story and you are worried then that's one way around it yeah it, it, when i was when i was in news like this is a decade ago for me when i was actually in news i would be paranoid about this kind of stuff i'm being in a totally different area now it's not so relevant for me but when i was working as a new news editor in salford um, you know, we were right in the heart of the community, this little scrappy paper getting insider stuff and pictures and quotes that no one else was getting. And then the big boys would come in and swoop and, uh, and nick it all off us kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen in, in my niche at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, Jill. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's... It's one good way of doing it as well, as if, you've only, if you're sending in pics, only send in low-res pics and then they can't use them. Um, don't don't ever send high res pics unless uh, unless you know you've, you've got a deal and you've got a commission. Yeah, I guess it's about kind of protecting yourself, but not being kind of too paranoid about it. No, so like... uh, no, and that does annoy editors as well. If you, if you're not being cooperative, um, I mean, I remember sometimes, and I can understand it. I was working on you know two of the tabloid newspapers, but when when people came to me, they wouldn't give me any detail about the story, and I'd, I'd be saying, "Well, yeah, that's great. I need to know a bit more." And they they wouldn't hand it over, and you think, "Well, you've, you've there's got to be some element of trust there." 
um, and in the end, you wouldn't commission them because they wouldn't they wouldn't offer up any more of the story. So it, yeah, it works both ways. Um, so how do you keep coming up with lots of new fresh ideas? Have you got any kind of tricks for if you're having a bit of a pitching drought, you can't think of anything? Uh, me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I get my ideas from absolutely anywhere and everywhere, from conversations with friends, from seeing something flash up on Facebook, from Twitter. I get PR, press releases, um, television programmes. I mean, honestly, the, the ideas are everywhere. It's just knowing... Uh, the other day, um, I, you know, I'll see something on Twitter and that CB, and my, my children are young and CBeebies flashed up something about a football team made up of bereaved dads or dads who had um, had miscarriages um, in their family. And that, I, that just struck me as a really lovely idea to, to sell into a, a newspaper. So I got in touch with that football team and before you know it, we'd, um, we'd done a double page spread for the mail and then it got picked up by a magazine. So absolutely anywhere and everywhere and Tom you're like me kind of working in a kind of specialist area um mm. in terms of ideas does that make it harder or easier being in a sort of niche I think it's probably about the same I mean you know the human brain is a big squishy mass of wonderfulness at times you know if you're anything like me then you're just constantly churning out ideas some of which are good and, and a lot of which are terrible um but you just have to get take time to sort of get out of the echo chamber of online news for me, um, read widely and especially read books, long form stuff. You know, I find myself reading books about psychology or dream theory or the environment or economics or history and thinking, oh, that's an interesting idea. I wonder, you know, how I could apply it to a different context, you know. Um, I don't think it makes a difference what niche you're in really. Um, just read widely. That would be my approach to it. Yes, because there's no point just kind of relying on the press releases that everybody else is getting. You want to be looking for stuff that's unique, unusual, a different angle and stories, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'd say if you're sorry, Tom, um, sorry, no I'd say if you are starting out, then it, it will be um, trends that you're noticing amongst friends. So the number of ideas, and obviously I can't think of one right now, but the number of ideas that come out for me as a woman in her 40s, going out for, say, meals or drinks with friends who are women in their 40s, and we'll be discussing things about our kids, about schools, about films, about what we're watching, and I'll notice that they're interested in talking about a particular subject, and just at the back of my mind, I think, oh, that could turn into a feature idea, and I've so many features have, have come about just through chatting at parties or um, at meals out with friends. So don't ignore that. If you're in your 20s, just starting out and you're chatting about things at clubs or pubs, think, yeah, this is something that my generation are talking about. How can I spin that into a feature idea? Yeah, and I think once you get into that habit of seeing everything as a potential story, it's, like you say, there's kind of an endless supply Yeah, you do become in tune to it. The danger is, of course, mm. that then your friends are all going, oh, look, Jill's thinking of a feature idea as she glazes over as you're in the meal out. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I, I get that. I'm on a WhatsApp group, and I think there's about five, <laughs> five people in that group that have already been case studies exactly. for me. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God, they're going to boot me out of this group soon. <laughs> 
And um, one thing I wanted to sort of explore in a bit more detail is we, we've talked about what to put in the pitch um, and maybe what not to, but I just wonder if there's sort of any, any advice you could give on kind of what you should never do. So things like, um, you know, attachments, um, you mentioned about photos as well. Um, I mean, Jill, from a commissioning editor's point of view, you know, were there certain things that you that would just completely put you yeah. off? Yeah, hated attachments. Absolutely hate anything with, um, oh gosh, let me think. Yeah, attachments are the big one because you just never, ever click on them, ever. The brevity is key. Again, like I said at the beginning, keep it brief, keep that headline, that subject line is it going to catch my eye? Has it got some great, great stat in it? Has it got some really strong quote from your interview in it? Um, make sure your contact details are there because you'd be amazed at the number of people who would send a pitch and you'd think, oh, actually, that's good, but no phone number. Mm. Just just an email. They'd expect you to go back with an email. You think, well, I want to ring this person straight away and just find out a little bit more. And there'd be no phone number at all. Well, okay, you've, you've missed out there. So always attach your phone number. Um, don't ever send the full feature because some people do that. You know, here's my pitch and here's the feature attached below um, because you'd think, well, never, a, a, as a freelance, never write on spec anyway because I think that's a big no-no. But, uh, yeah, again, send links to relevant clips and things like that. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say don't go straight. If... If you don't know the um, the editor, then just a short bio about who you are very quickly, but don't lead in with all that. Perhaps put your website at the bottom and say, if you want to know more about me and who I write for or what I've done, my you know, my website's at the bottom, but don't go big on, you know, you know, your experience or anything like that. And how about you, Tom? Have you found that you've sort of learned along the way what are the big sort of no-nos in terms of a pitch uh yeah i mean so certainly promising what you can't deliver is a is a big one um yeah you know don't over promise you know you're not going to say i can get an interview with the queen for this because it, it ain't going to happen um yes. just to yeah repeat what Jill said really um you know don't spend hours and hours and hours crafting the perfect message just get on with it you know, um, when I was a, you've got to show some appreciation for, for the, the sector, the space that you're in as well. I got one pitch when I was a technology editor that misspelled iPhone um, <laughs> with a capital I. And you wouldn't believe it, but it's, you've got to show some, at least some basic appreciation for, uh, for the information that you're going to be putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, I, and also if you can um, show, I think, that you have put thought into who their readers are and who this publication is, and it's not just a generic pitch, mm. then the, already you've kind of going to have gone up in the editor's estimation. That I would say is absolutely key and should probably have come as one of my top tips right at the beginning as well, although I thought possibly we were going to cover it anyway. But reading and knowing the publication and perhaps the section editor is absolutely paramount importance because there is no point pitching any kind of science or business stuff to me when I'm in charge of the women's or, or female section or the health section. And it just shows a naivety on the part of the writer and also a lack of research as well. 
So I do think make yourself au fait with which section editor looks after which whichever part of the paper or the new, um, the magazine and really get to know that and know the tone and know what they've already covered. I mean, it's so embarrassing when you get a, a, an idea in and it's literally been covered that week or the week before and you think, oh my goodness, you just haven't read the magazine this, this week or in at any point because you know we wouldn't cover that kind of subject. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was just going to ask that that thing about finding the right person um, to contact, I mean, that can be an art in itself, can it not? Particularly when you're first starting out. Um, and so how how would you write, find the right person to pitch to? I mean, Tom, how, how do you kind of work out who is the commissioning editor that, that you need to get hold of? Yeah, when you're just starting out, it's an absolute nightmare um, <laughs> because you're you're on the outside and the whole system seems designed to sort of keep you on the outside, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Especially for especially if you're just starting, um, ask ask people you know in the industry. LinkedIn is awesome. Also, um, Facebook. Join groups of other journalists and be helpful and nice, and people are likely to be helpful and nice in return. Karma is real um that is the way that i got into it um use your social contacts ask everybody that you know um that's where i started okay yeah, so I'd, we... I'd second i'd second everything there it's also twitter is a great place to find your out um, section editors as well um if you can if you're just leaving university or college as a trainee journalist then you've got a whole pool there of of peers who will be trying to break in as well and if you you know if you can share contacts at this stage I think that's a great idea because you know if you're nice to the people on the way up believe me they're nice to you on the way down um and and try and find a mentor if you can I mean I'm, I'm mentoring someone from um uh, Sheffield Hallam at the moment and I really help her with any contacts um, that I've got and you know I'm if a, if a student journalist approached me and, and asked me if um, I could help them I'm not going to give my whole contacts book away but I can guide them in the right direction so if you can find an older journalist and you're helpful to them either finding a case study or helping them out with a story think think of it as kind of quid pro quo but don't go into it thinking like that just think you know I'll try and develop a relationship there and then um, you know they'll they'll help you they'll help you back or most of the time they'll help you Okay, that's really good. I'm going to um, make this our last question because our producer is flashing up that we've already used quite a lot of our time. Um, so how do you balance that time when I think we've all been in that period of time where you think, oh, I haven't got any work for next week or things have gone a bit quiet. I better send out a load of pitches. But then they all get accepted and suddenly you've got five things to write by Friday. Um, how do you balance kind of trying to get a steady workflow? Uh, I'll ask that Jill. Yeah, I'll ask you first. Then we'll yeah, it's a million dollar question. My husband did a cartoon. He's a, um, he's, he's a writer and a cartoonist as well. And he did a cartoon for Private Eye recently, which was inspired by me. And it was a picture of me with me at the computer at 9am going, I've got no work. And then another picture of me 
I've got too much in the afternoon saying I've got too much work. And that is the free, freelance life. It's um, I would just say when you do get too much work, you, you do it. You say yes to everything because that is freelancing. And if it means you working until one o'clock in the morning and then getting up at five to get another deadline in, then you do it because it really is um, feast or famine with freelancing. So, yeah, if you if you really can say yes to most um, pieces, then do. But um, there will be times when it's very, very quiet and you'll be kicking yourself for not saying yes. But then you do have to strike a balance as well. Don't make yourself ill. But um, well, certainly when you're starting out, when you're in your 20s, say yes to absolutely everything and just make it work. Cancel social plans. Cancel, you know, going out or meeting your boyfriend or girlfriend that night. Just make that feature or that new story work. Yes, and you can have a rest a couple of weeks down the line when the busy Of course you can. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's been times when it's been, you know, a couple of weeks where I've thought, oh, my God, everybody's ignoring me. There's something wrong with me. I smell. It's terrible. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's something that you can't actually control, really. Even if you're the most wonderful, brightest, most intelligent person on earth, there's still going to be people out there who think you're an idiot. And by the same um, token, you can't control really when the work comes in, other than, as Jill said, saying yes when it does come in. You know, um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And you've got to be sanguine about it. And uh, it's easy to get stuck in the mindset that, like, if it's going badly today, then that's what it's going to be like for you until the end of time. Uh, but tomorrow or next week or next month will look a lot different than it does today. Um, and so when the work comes in, you've got to do it because you can't let people down. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. And you must never take it personally either when you're having a, a fallow period either. It's, it's not you. It's not your ideas. It's just the fact that editors aren't looking for that particular thing at that time or they're too busy Mm. working on something else. You mustn't take it personally. It's horrible. Pitching is the worst part of the job, I think. I hate it, but it's necessary. And if you're going to make it as a freelance, you have to get over that. So, um, yeah, don't don't ever take it personally. You've got to to develop a hard shell, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think on that, it's it's knowing as well that to keep plugging away. And I think the sort of mantra is like for every 10 pictures you send you might get one response or you might Mm -hmm. get two responses and then you know whether you get a commission you know is it is another thing altogether yeah particularly and also ask for advice ask for advice about pitching as well if you feel you are oh um if you aren't getting much success there are so many different journalists as tom mentioned earlier on facebook that you can ask for advice about your own pictures um, and there are even courses that you can go on i you know there's one i think run by a couple of journalist colleagues um hazel and heidi i think it's called muse flash or something and there are other various um expert pictures that you can find out about on these facebook groups so i'd recommend if you are really struggling signing yourself up one of those or just asking for free on 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 of these groups yeah yeah and I think it's having that you know you've got to put yourself out there and and like you say not be afraid to ask for advice and to keep just keep pitching and pitching and pitching because once you've made a few contacts then you can grow on that and if Mm. they like your work and they trust you 
then they're more likely to read you know read your pictures next time they come in and, and take a punt on you again so it, it gets kind of easier the more that you do it I guess it's just getting those first kind of few secured commissions exactly keep going keep plugging away brilliant I'm... sorry go on Tom what were you going to say no I was, th- I was just going to add there that you know freelance journalism and journalism itself can seem like such a solo enterprise a kind of zero-sum game if, if you lose I win if I win you lose kind of thing so if there aren't these places out there groups you can find to uh, <laughs> to get your pitches looked at then start your own you yeah. know I've got a co-work I've got a co-working group with a couple of journalist friends in Manchester and we do a pitch clinic every other week just to check what we're doing what we're sending out is is any is any good yeah that's a really good idea yeah about definitely bouncing ideas off of people in yeah your peers and people's covering the same sort of things and, and people in the same situation there's a real Brilliant. camaraderie I think as well absolutely I'd agree Brilliant. Right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, I think we've just about managed to get through <laughs> using the technology. Definitely not as easy as when we're in the radio studio and we can actually see each other. It's a bit weird talking to a screen. Um, but thank you very much to Jill Foster and Tom Rogers. And that's been a really valuable insight from both of you today. Um, if you thank want you. To know... Oh, yeah, Absolutely. If you want to know about any of this, you can check out our website at freelancingforjournalists.com. You'll find links to any useful resources that we've mentioned here in the podcast today. Um, And we'll put those links in the episode notes as well. And as we mentioned earlier, our book, Freelancing for Journalists, is out hopefully in July 2020. So keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, just in case you didn't hear that, because it went a bit um, squiffy then. Um, Emma just said that we'll put the links to anything we've mentioned in the episode notes on the website. You can also follow us at Twitter, at Twitter, on Twitter even. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And please do get in touch if you have any questions you'd like answering on Freelance Life. You can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. And if this has been at all, helpful then please like rate and subscribe to the podcast so people can find us this podcast has been developed with the help of a grant from sheffield hallam university and was produced by students on the ba and ma journalism courses Uh, thanks for listening and keep an eye out for all our episodes on other aspects of freelance life Uh, bye for now goodbye